0: Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law, You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Heavy passage. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So the question I'll start out with for everybody is, What does it really mean to be free? Freedom is a discussion that we've been having a lot lately, especially the churches. So I've got letters that are written to the governor because we have to petition for our right to assemble. We are free. I mean, we have this wonderful thing called the Declaration of Independence that talks to us about and is founded on, our country founded on this idea of freedom. So freedom is one of these things. It's at the American way, isn't it? The freedom to exercise our right to assemble kids as they get older, they want more freedom. Anybody have teenagers? As they get older, they want more freedom and they want more money too, but that's another thing. And freedom is this huge concept that I think is often, unfortunately, misunderstood. I remember when our kids were younger, before I was Pastor Steve, we were going to a local church and they had gone to youth group and we dropped them off, and then we picked them up afterwards, and they got in the car, and they were so excited because they had been taught that they are free in Christ. And so they were telling me all about, we are free in Christ, that We have freedom in Christ, and this is so great. And I said, what are you free from? And they said, uh, we don't know. Not really sure. We have this freedom, but we don't really know what that means or how that works. So we have all these questions and concerns and issues, really, about how handle what really is freedom. I mean, if you think you're free, try not paying your taxes or try going 75 miles an hour on Route 53. We're not as free as we think we are. And then freedom requires responsibility. Would you agree with that? Freedom requires responsibility. And I'll give you more on that as we get later into this sermon. So what happens when two people's freedoms conflict with each other? When I have a freedom to do this and you have a freedom to do that, and if we both take our freedoms, they're going to conflict. We're going to hurt each other or we're going to conflict with each other. So whose freedoms are more important? These are big, serious questions that the Bible has amazing answers to. Amazing answers to. So for four chapters, Paul has outlined to the Galatians from personal experience and then theologically this idea of not being brought back under the law. They were being told that God will not accept you just as you are. That you have to first do some things to be made acceptable to God. And for them, it was these laws you had to keep. And we'll see that one of the most powerful ones that was being presented to them was circumcision. And I'll explain that as we go through. So they were saying, look, Jesus is great, but he's not enough, that God won't accept you just based on what Jesus has done. You have to have Jesus, and what's more important than Jesus is that you have to go through this ritual of circumcision. And that's what they were being told, and they were buying it. Paul is saying that it's like you're being bewitched, you're turning away from Christ, and it's another gospel, and so all of that has been laid out in the first four chapters. In chapter five, we really turn a corner And it becomes very, very, very practical. So he challenges them and warns them to hold on to that religious freedom. And I'll explain what that means too. And then how does the gospel show us how to really live as free people? Maybe the question isn't whether or not we're free. Maybe the question is really whether or not we're whole, human. Our humanity was distorted by sin at the fall. And since then, people have been slaves to all kinds of sin and addiction and pride and all kinds of things have enslaved the human heart. Real freedom is found not when a person demands their rights. Real freedom is found when a person inside is made whole, restored. And then that person can use their freedoms appropriately. So I think we got better questions to ask. You can think on that. He jumps right in chapter four with this command command. It's imperative, he says, stand fast, stay right where you are in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. I've shared lots about my granddaughter over the last couple of weeks and months and she's taught me so much about being a Christian. She's taught me so much about life and she's given me a chance to watch a lot of Disney stuff. You know the song from Pinocchio, I Got No Strings? I can't get that song out of my head. So last night I go to bed and I'm praying through this scripture and going, okay, Lord, what does it mean for me? And and all of a sudden the Lord brought to my mind that song. I got no strings to hold me down or whatever the song goes like. I'm not gonna sing it to you. (laughs) So here's Pinocchio and he's this chunk of wood that's carved by a creator and then he wants to be a real boy. In the story, the fairy gives him life, but he's still a puppet, but he's got no strings. He's not a boy, he's somewhere in between. He's alive, but he doesn't have strings. So he's got freedom, he's got no strings on him. Sometimes we think that's what freedom is. I got no strings to hold me down. I can do anything I want. Matter of fact, that's the epitome of freedom. I'm gonna do what I want, when I want. No one is gonna tell me what to do. Well, then off goes Pinocchio and he meets this guy named, wonderful name for an Italian Stromboli. He meets Stromboli who owns this theater and Pinocchio becomes his little star. And Pinocchio being so naive in his newness, in his youngness, in his freedom, he thinks he's just going to go home and tell his dad about this great little gig he's got. And Stromboli uh, throws him in a little cage and imprisons him because Stromboli wants to use him for his own purposes. And that's what Paul is saying about the Judaizers in Galatians is they want to court you zealously, but for their own purpose. So there's a lot of ways to be brought and to trade slaveries. So he's got no strings on him, but because of his naivety and because of other things that he gets involved in and entangled in, he now finds himself in an equally difficult, encaged situation. And then he goes from there. If you know the story later on, he meets some other people and they introduce him to Pleasure Island, another thing that can enslave people. So Pleasure Island is where there's all these boys and they get to do whatever they want, whenever they want, there's no rules and there's no laws and they can do anything they want and they live happily there. And that turns out to be a lie because the island is cursed and they all turn into stupid donkeys. So you've got no strings on me, but there's always things tugging at the human heart. On one side, there's pleasure and people are dragged away into slavery to pleasure Pleasure is the answer. You know, our Declaration of Independence says we have this God-given right by our Creator for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They never told us how to get the happiness part. told us we could pursue it, but didn't tell us how to get it. And we might say life, liberty, and the pursuit of pleasure. That's what's going to make me happy is pursuing pleasure. And people find out that pursuing pleasure can be entrapping to us. And then the other side, so we go the other way. Well, and then I'll be a slave to rules and laws and things like that. So Pinocchio, just for me, became this picture of Galatians chapter five. He says to them, instead of getting dragged back, they had been freed from one's slavery. This is why I bring up Pinocchio. They had been freed from the strings of pagan superstitions, superstitious worship. You know, in paganism, you're always trying to make these angry gods happy. Anybody grow up with superstition? You were superstitious? I was. Any athletes that were superstitious? I grew up as an athlete. And I played sports into college. And I had, when I was on the rowing team in college, I've told this story before, my freshman rowing team was really, really good, undefeated. And I began to get superstitious. I had to wear the same pair of socks every time we raced because we raced And we won, and I had those socks on. So I figured, well, I'll wear the same socks. And then we won again. And then I was afraid not to wear the socks because somehow these socks had power to bring victory. So there was a God of socks somewhere, and I had found the key with the God of socks to victory. But that superstition is saying that there's somehow a God that controls things. And unless I make them happy, then my life is gonna be pain. So there were the gods that they had to make happy. Then there were the gods that made them happy because these were gods that encouraged them toward the pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain. That's where happiness and freedom is. Pursue pleasure, avoid pain. Classic Greek philosophy. So they had exchanged this yoke. They were introduced to Christ and Paul preached to them this savior that God loves them and forgives and they can be in union with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and their sins can be forgiven, and they have a God that loves them. And they had heard that, and the Spirit of God filled their lives. That's what Paul said, having begun in the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? No, they had been transformed and changed and set free. But now the danger, why Paul gets so intense in this passage, is the danger is you're gonna exchange one slavery for another. You got free, why in the world would you go back to a yoke of bondage? You know what he means when he says a yoke of bondage? He says, why would you? You've been free. You've been given liberty. Don't be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Anybody else claustrophobic? Hold me down. I don't know what's going to happen. I learned something when I broke my wrist. I learned about something called caste anxiety. Anybody ever heard of that? you ever know someone that cut a cast off their arm? had to get a cast on, they cut it off, couldn't stand it. So I started to develop, never got a cast on, but I started to feel this like, I got to get this thing off of me. Like it's entangling me, it's, it's holding me. And that's what the word entangled means, to be held by, to be constrained by. So he says, you've been made free, and now you're tempted to, you're walking toward, you're in danger of getting all held down and wrapped up again with a different yoke, something to constrain you. A yoke of bondage, of slavery. Someone from the outside telling you what to do. Controlling what you do and don't do with your life. What you do, where you go, what you wear, what you say, what you don't say, all those things. Now, when Paul talks about religious liberty, he doesn't mean a freedom from the state trolling our religious freedoms. What's he talking about in this passage? See, to me, this is so cool because we never really talk about it. What he's talking about is the freedom from religion, from religious law and obligation, traditions and all those things that constrain. Say, Well, you know, Jesus is good, but unless you tithe, Jesus is good, but unless you go to church on Saturday, that's the real day to go to church. Jesus is good, but, and anytime you say that, You have entered a different realm, and that's where they're being tempted to go. Let me ask you this question. What's it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And can you think that maybe, maybe over the years, you know, we've seen a decline in Christianity, haven't we? We've seen since the 60s, since the late 60s, 70s, you know, there was the Jesus People Revival. But since then, there's been a decline, and now we live in a place where so many people have no religious affiliation whatsoever. We've seen young people turning away from church in droves, turning away from religion, so to speak. People scratch their head and go, Why is that? So we try to make the church more relevant to people, more acceptable, more likable, more enjoyable. We create an experience, and we leave Jesus out of it in a lot of ways. You ever ask yourself why that happened, or how did that happen? How did we get there? Let me offer you this. If I say to you, what's it mean to be Christian? I think the message that the church has sent years has been, well, you come to Jesus, you get baptized, and then here's what you do. You gotta stop smoking. You gotta quit drinking. Quit running around with girls or guys or whatever it is you do. You gotta show up to church on Sunday. You gotta read the Bible. And for many people, it's the right Bible, not just any Bible. You gotta read the Bible. Our group says you gotta read. You gotta tithe. You gotta wear the right clothes. And we have a list of things that we say inadvertently, this is what it means to be Christian. And I think kids, youth, young adults, the world has looked at that and said, it's just another form of slavery. Religion is just another form of bondage. Because I think that's what we've presented. I think that's what we've bought and that's what we've presented. If you say, if there's something, a clarifier to what it means to be Christian that has something to do with something you do for God, then you too have fallen into the slavery mentality. It's heavy, isn't it? Wow, can that possibly be true? He says, Christ has made us free. How do people get free? They get free because of Christ. Jesus didn't set you free, listen carefully, to help you keep the law. Jesus didn't set you free, make you better at keeping the rules, which is what a lot of people think. Now, He explains that. Look at verse two. He says, indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, now he brings the focus in on that. If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you or benefit you nothing. See, they were under religious pressure to succumb to this ritual of circumcision. Circumcision, I don't have to explain to you what it is, in fact, in biology, but what it was to them was this was the entry point into being one of God's people. I mean, you became one of God's people, one of God's chosen people, a Jew, by being circumcised. That was the sign of this relationship with God, that you would submit yourself to circumcision. So they were being pressured to do that. Okay, you've got saved, you're spirit-filled, that's not enough, you need to submit to this ritual by which you become a Jew and really become one of the people of God. And they were going, really? Is that true? Have you ever met someone like that? Like, well, you know, being a Christian is great, but you go to church on Sunday? I mean, what's that all about? Like Saturday, if you don't go to church Saturday, you can't really be a Christian because Sunday it's like of the devil, you know? They put heavy trips, see the trip they're being put on. And then Paul had told them, look, Ishmael was circumcised and he was cast down. He's told them that. Because this is the thing, people refer to the Bible. The Judaizers would say, well, look at the Bible. The Bible says, you know, Abraham, covenant, be circumcised, you're God's people, and they would prove it from the Bible. So Paul points to a different place in the Bible and says, let's think about this. So you have to be careful with people that carry a Bible and know how to use and twist verses to say what they want to say. So he says, if you become circumcised, if you enter into that relationship, then Christ will profit you nothing. You see, what people want to say is, well, I want Jesus and the rules, I want Jesus and the law, that Jesus and the law work hand in hand in my life, that Jesus exists to make me a better person so God can love me. That's how it works. Jesus makes me a better, more moral person. we go to moralism. But is that what Paul says here? He says it's either or. It's not both and, it's either or. If you choose to find your relationship with God through your own righteousness, then he says, then think Christ will do nothing, will not benefit you at all. If you say, I'm gonna stand before God on my own merit, then Christ will profit you nothing, he says. Think about skydiving. Any skydivers by any chance? The military, yeah, some military folks maybe too. As long as I am in the plane, I'm safe from gravity. But the minute I step out of that plane, now I am on my own. The plane profits me nothing. There's the plane. I watch it going away and it's there and it's still doing what it does. But the problem is I have stepped out from the place where it actually benefits me at all. The problem is in the illustration, you jump out of the airplane, you start pulling your parachute, it ain't opening because it can't save you. You know, your own works, your parachute. That's what he's saying. If you become circumcised and you say, I'm gonna enter into that life and try to find my way to God based on my own doing things the right way, in the right order, the right timing, then you got a faulty system because now it's up to you. Your parachute is your ability to be distant and to do it all perfectly. And he's gonna elaborate on that in verse three. So you take that and you carry that down to verse three. He's gonna make this make more sense in verse three. He says, and I testify again to every man that's Jew, that's Gentile, to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Now, there's a lot of ink spilled based on what this means, what it doesn't mean. Whatever it means, it sounds bad, doesn't it? To be estranged from Christ doesn't sound good. To have fallen from grace also doesn't sound good. Can you admit with me, That this is a pretty serious passage. Paul is not mincing words. He is not soft peddling anything. He's saying, look, this is a serious discussion. This is a serious choice. Once you take on the signature, remember, circumcision, for our intents and purposes, is like the signature of a covenant, of a relationship, of a legal document saying, I'm signing here, saying I'm agreeing to this covenant and all that it entails. You know, think about a military obligation. I looked it up this morning. I remember having a friend in college that was a Marine. I was steps away from the recruiter. Not that that's wrong, but he had me going down to the recruiter, and I talked to my dad. My dad said, look, Steve, I'll tell you what, finish college, and then if you want to join the Marines, you can join the Marines. He was trying to stop me from signing on the dotted line before I had thought it through, before I considered the ramifications. And again, nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is that once you sign, your life is no longer your own hey, sign, you'll see the world. Yes, you will. And you'll wear clothes this way and you'll see the part of the world we tell you you can see. There's obligation required with that. Am I saying the truth? Because you signed up. And when you sign up, that's what he says here, you become a debtor, which is a word for an obligation. You now have a debt to pay, an obligation to carry through, an obligation to do and to follow all that the military tells you to follow. In that same sense, think about a loan obligation. The minute you sign for that expensive truck with those expensive payments, you have an obligation. to Fulfill what you said you would fulfill. You are literally a debtor, aren't you? You've taken on a debt. I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go. That's the old song. I had some friends, they were here in church years ago. They've since moved, and I won't use their names, but I can tell their story. They had gotten into some deep financial trouble. They spent more money than they had And they had bought this expensive truck. The minute they drove it off a lot, it was devalued. And now they had to try to sell it, but they couldn't get near what it was worth. They had to declare bankruptcy. They had signed on the dotted line. They said, we're gonna take on this obligation. The obligation was more than they could handle and it left them bankrupt. And that's what Paul is saying to them about entering into this law-based relationship. It's more than you can handle that it'll leave you bankrupt. He calls it the curse of the law. And he says, it's not just circumcision. See, that's the thing is you're a debtor to keep the whole law. Say, so, well, it's just circumcision, but actually it's not circumcision and 613 other things that you are now bound to do if you want to do it yourself. I mean, if I asked you this question, you going to heaven. I mean, I've never done a funeral where the person who had died was not going to heaven everybody will say, nope, they're going to heaven. So the question is, how do you know? How do you know? And if I say to you, you going to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven, Pastor. Why? And if the first thing out of your lips is because I'm a Methodist or Catholic or Baptist or Calvary Chapel or because I've done this and I've done that and I do this and I do that, the minute you say it, that reveals that you are in slave camp, self-righteousness camp, and not Christ-righteousness camp. Okay, if that's what you want, are a debtor in for a little, in for a lot. You're in for the whole thing. You open up that can of worms; it's everything. When he says you become estranged from Christ, he says it this way: you are severed, or loosed, or let go from Christ. You who would be justified by the law—literally a word that means to be unemployed. We know a lot about that, with millions of people filing for unemployment right now. It says you become. Loosed from Christ. In other words, you've set Christ off to the unemployment office. You say, I used to need you here, but now I don't need you anymore. You are now set free from your job. You are loose to go. You're not needed anymore. You are unemployed. Imagine making Christ unemployed. And that's what Paul is saying. By saying you're going to get circumcised and you're going to keep the law, you're saying, I don't need Christ. He makes it clear right there. Your attempt is to be justified by law. Saying, I'm going to get to heaven on my own merit. Have you ever met someone? You talk to them, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Why? Well, I'm a good person. Better be really good. I mean, really, really, really good. Not just on Tuesdays and Thursdays and when your in-laws are over. But you better be good all the time, consistently, and do everything perfectly. Otherwise, you're not going to be. You're not going to be justified by law says it right there. You've fallen from grace. Literally drop away. It's the same word used when Peter's in prison, Acts chapter 12, and the chains fall off of him. You've dropped grace. Just to say that sounds scary and imposing, doesn't it? Like, I need grace. I'm desperate for the grace because I know me. And if I forget, I just ask my wife and she reminds me. I need grace. You need Grace. But they're saying, we no longer need grace. We've dropped away from grace. So my granddaughter, she loves to find treasures in the yard. And we've got all these fruit trees. And this is a time of year when the fruit trees have their early drop. They drop the early fruit and it sort of thins out the crop. And the fruit that stays in the tree grows big and juicy and matures. So we have a plum tree right uh, in the middle of our yard. And this time of year, there's all kinds of unripened plums. That fall off; they're not matured, so they fall and they die. And so she finds these little plums, and there it is. It fell off; it fell away from the tree that was giving it life. And then the only thing left after that was to shrivel up and die and never mature. So Paul is saying is by living a life that's based on your own ability. It's the whole mindset of performance. I have got to do these things or else. Do you ever think about, like, what are the things in your mind you have to do, or else? Because Christians, we get into that. I have to read through the Bible this year, or else. Now, it's a great thing to read through the Bible in a year, but the question is, what happens if you don't? Great thing to get baptized. The question is, what happens if you don't? What do you believe happens if you don't? Great thing to tithe. The question is, what do you believe happens if you don't? And when you begin to question your salvation, you didn't do that. I mean, you see how freeing that is? Wow. You've fallen from grace. He says you've dropped away. So here's this wonderful grace tree. And Paul says, You've let go of it, you drop away from it. He says, For we, Paul, speaking of he and those that are walking in the spirit, those that are spirit-filled, says, For we. Through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. I mean, I'm not looking forward to anticipating a time when I'm going to be right with God because I've done all the right things. I've pleased Him by doing all the right things. I'm going to get it by faith. This is the difference. And in verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, or literally in union with Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision avails anything but faith, working, love. Ah, once, listen very carefully. I mean, this is is the whole enchilada right here. I'm not even into Mexican food, but it doesn't sound right to say like the whole wonton or something. It's the whole enchilada. This is it. (laughs) Once a person is in union with the son of God, you have everything. You're righteous, you're loved, You have this relationship with God. I mean, you have the same relationship with God that his son has. Not because of anything you do. Because you are united to his son. And that's why he says, in union with Christ Jesus, how can you improve on that? He said, well, I'm in union with Christ, but I'm going to be circumcised, and then God's really going to love me. Like he doesn't love his son? Do you think God could love his son more Do they not share this perfect, unconditional love? Does Jesus not have perfect righteousness? But see, the struggle is to believe that, to believe that I have everything Christ has. So for in union with Christ, circumcision doesn't have any power for my life, and uncircumcision is. It's not about those external things. It's not going to profit me anything. It's not going to do anything for me. In Galatians 6, Paul says, not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It's the new creation. That's what it's about. I've sat with pastors in pastor's meetings. And this is one that just comes to mind because pastors sit around in their pastor's meetings. We talk about the Bible, and then they talk about how to get their people to do it. How are we going to get our people? Our people, they won't do these things. How do we get them to do it? So We have to devise programs, and we have to devise rules to get people to do what they ought to do, and they should know they should do it, but they won't do it, so we'll make them do it, and we call it discipleship, and then one meeting, I just remember being there, watching this discussion go on, and I raised my hand, and I said, what about the power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, and they looked at me like, huh, we hadn't thought about that. See, that's what happens is the miraculous Transformational power of the Holy Spirit is often disregarded because church just becomes about come in, I do moral things, I look the part, I dress the part, and that's what church is. It has nothing to do with transformation. It has everything to do with conforming to what everybody else does. No wonder people have rejected it. This doesn't do anything for me. A monkey can get baptized. You know, as we say, you can put your boots in the oven, but it doesn't make them biscuits. It's putting someone in the church. See, that's what people think. Well, I'm, I'm in church. And that should be the answer. How do we handle freedom? That's the question we started with. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. But it's faith working through love. Now, here's the thing as we get back to talking about freedom. And I'll wind this down here. I love the fact. I mean, we live in one of the greatest nation in the world, don't we? And because it was founded on this understanding that God has given people the right to be free, not to be enslaved by other people. So when you go into a classroom of students, of school students, and you tell them everybody's equal, what do you base that on if you don't have a Bible? How do you base that? Because that's not what the world says. The only reason we can look around this room, or we can look around our world, we can look around our county, whatever your skin color, whatever your economic status, we can look around and we go, everybody's created equal. We can do that because we know there's a creator, God. And that's how we know everybody else is created equal. Evolution says some people are more highly evolved than others. See how that works? So when we talk about freedom, If I'm more highly evolved than you, I get to enslave you because I'm higher than you. And that's what I get to bring you under my domination, my control. So I worry I worry about our country because founded on this freedom that government exists to enforce and uphold the rights that have been given to human beings by their creator. Have you read that in the Declaration of Independence? I mean, try preaching separation of church and state and read the Declaration of Independence. You can't do it. Because the rights we have are given to us by God. Now, here's the thing. We're very focused on our freedoms, our rights. But what's happening in our world is love is growing cold. And when you have free people that don't love others, you got big problems. You got tribalism. You got divisiveness. You got wars and factions. You got people fighting for their needs and their desires and what they want, what they deserve at the expense of you and your freedoms and your desires. So listen to this. I did a little research. Catch this. You know, Virginia has its own Declaration of Human Rights, Declaration of Rights. Did you know that? So we have the Declaration of Independence, but then the state, our state, written in 1776 by George Mason, adopted July of 1776, section 16 says this, that religion or the duty which we owe to our creator... And the manner of discharging it, how it's practiced, can be directed only by reason and conviction, not by force or violence. in other words, you can't make it a law to worship a certain way. And therefore, all men are equally entitled to the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience. Now, just in case you're wondering what kind of religion he was thinking of, and that it is the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity Toward each other. 1776 George Mason, Virginia State Declaration of Rights says that it is the duty of everyone not just to demand their freedoms, but to practice love and charity toward each other. Those two things, you want to find real freedom. Real freedom is found when you are free to love. And at any given moment, you have to say, What does love demand? See, that's when things get exciting when Christian people. When faith that really trust God, that really believe that they are accepted. I'm accepted. I got no identity issues. I got nothing to prove. I got no power to try to grab. I am accepted fully. I'm fully loved. I'm fully forgiven. And I believe that then that faith begins to work. It's like this engine and it starts to work. But what is the fuel for that engine? It's love. It's love. That's what Paul says, that faith works through love. Now that really brings results. That's what really begins to change and transform a life is when faith starts to work through love. People get so messed up and religion becomes all about me and what I'm doing and what I have and how I look. But faith and love are all about you and what I can do for you and how I'm blessing you. James said, a faith without works is dead. And the greatest thing, the greatest demonstration of our faith is not the rules we keep and the rituals we impose on ourselves. The greatest demonstration of true transformation is you take unloving, selfish, self-centered, egotistical people, and they become selflessly loving and willing to give up their own rights not because the government demands it or because someone else demands it, but because love demands it. I have the right to do this. Paul said, I have the right to eat meat. First Corinthians chapter nine, I think. The right to do it. Because I love you, I'm not going to. that's when people are really free. When you're free to give up your rights because you choose to for the sake of love. Now we're rocking and rolling church, amen? Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray. I know this is a confusing issue, challenging issue, and I pray you help us to understand what Paul is saying to the Galatians about standing fast, holding on to their freedom, not being entangled with religious constraints, but free to love and constrained by love. Lord, help us to have lives constrained by love for the love of Christ would compel us. And I pray that we would live that reality in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. Hey, stay tuned for the rest of this passage is just absolutely fantastic.